0: Welcome to the Law of Stardust Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider.
1: And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being uh, with us today on the show. Today we are lucky to have Jay Turner. Uh, Jay is the founder and uh, CEO of Jeffmont uh, Redbird Sports, a golf club manufacturer headquartered here in Seattle. Jay, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: For sure. So, Jay, you've got this wonderful golf shop up on uh, Beacon Hill in Seattle, and if you're uh, not from Seattle, if, if, uh, if you look south, you see this ginormous building. Amazon used to be in that building. That's sort of the Beacon Hill neighborhood, and up there we have that, uh, one of the few Seattle municipal golf courses, Jefferson, and you guys are just down the street from there, and that's, and that's where you grew up, right?
2: Right. It's eight blocks from uh, where I started playing golf many years ago.
1: How old were you when you when you first had a stick in your hand?
2: When I when I started playing seriously, well, uh, as the stories go, my dad used to take me up there when I was under one under in one the, in the summer and lay me in the fairways and is his way to get out of the house and practice and give my mom a break. Uh, that's a great story. But, uh, <laughs> I didn't start seriously till I was about sixteen. Okay, so sophomore year in high school. So when did you start making golf clubs? When did that come into being? I was really fortunate, we had a driving range there, and the pro that had the concession to the driving range had a repair shop, and so I started working for him uh, picking balls so I could hit get some privileges, mainly free balls. And He taught me the repair business, uh, which one thing led to another, and that was back in the days where woods were actually made of wood, so I learned to, to build wooden golf clubs right out of blocks. And everything evolved from there as time went on.
1: Wow. Okay. So I've got to ask you a story. I've heard this story a few times. I don't know if it's true or not. But I, you know, I've been out to the drive range at Jefferson, and somebody told me once that when Fred Couples was 13 years old or some
2: pretty young age, they told me he could no longer hit a driver out there because he hit it right over the outside fence. Yeah, he used to. He was uh, incredibly long. That was more like when he was 15 or 16. But he hit three woods out of the, off the. Out of the back fence. Wow! On the wow. direct center, which was a carry of about 270, 80 yards. That's a
1: long. That's a long. That's a long shot. It's a long, long shot. If you, Mike, if you ever get out to the Jefferson Driving Range, take a look at that and wonder, wonder about it. It's a. It's. I always. I wasn't sure if that was a true story. If that was
2: just Seattle yeah, so lore. That was fact. <laughs> I, I saw it many times
1: so not to dwell on Fred couples but he must be the most famous golfer we've had come out of at least beacon hill area
2: oh yeah absolutely <laughs> if out not of seattle pretty, generally pretty much seattle per se before that it was don bees that's right i remember don bees when i was a kid i grew up playing golf uh,
1: and, and doing the same thing uh picking up balls on a range and cleaning golf clubs and uh cleaning golf carts and stuff like this so i could play right right yeah that's... super fun Exactly. But yeah, it was I never a great I,
2: experience. Yeah,
1: super fun. So when did you start? So your first golf company was a company called Redbird. And by the way, my dad, when I was about, um, I don't know, nineteen or twenty, my dad bought me a Redbird, uh, a Redbird sandwich. I think it was. I still have that club, and it's a great club. My dad used to. I remember when I was like nineteen or twenty. So this is you know, a little while back, my dad said, "Hey, these Redbird golf clubs. You gotta
2: check these golf clubs out." <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's funny. Um, it- It's kind of a long story, I'll try to keep it short, but the company started, when I graduated from the UW, I worked for an importer and I used to take uh, buyers from a a chain that used to be here, a drugstore chain called Pay and Save, and a hardware store chain called Ernst Hardware that's now, they no longer exist, uh, overseas to buy things. And about my third year working there out of college, uh, my father got real sick, had a severe stroke, and so it was either put him in a rest home or my sister and I were going to look after him. So I quit my job and started the golf club company, and I always wanted to do it. And the Redbird name, people ask about, how did that evolve? Well, my name being Jay has always, nickname has always been Bird or Jay Bird or something like that, Blue Jay. And the guy that I worked for in the driving range was named Steve Coley at Flaming Red Hair. And so... When I quit my job, he and I got together and we formed Redbird, and the name came about because of the combining the two nicknames. We couldn't come up with anything that was more meaningful, so that we uh, started operations the end of 1985. 85, okay. Wow, that's great. And
1: so you've now got a new brand uh, and sort of a new. I mean, tell us about your new golf
2: venture. Well, what I, I bought Steve out after a year. Um, that we were in business because I was doing it full-time and he wanted to travel and do some other things, not be tied down. So recently we reformed, recapitalized under uh, the umbrella of Jeffmont Limited. And Jeffmont is uh, the nickname, my best friend, who is also now one of the owners of this new venture, that's the nickname we gave Jefferson Park. It was kind of a facetious reference to Oakmont. <laughs> Oakmont it was a grungy little neighborhood muni, you know. And we kind of, well, we're going to Jeffmont like we were somebody. Well, so Oakmont was the uh, the famous golf course at which they've had many, many Opens. Just had the U.S. Open there, I believe it was last last summer. Right. Oakmont was not Bushwood. Bushwood. No. <laughs> Jefferson was was pretty close to Bushwood.
1: <laughs> so for those who don't who aren't catching the, the the joke there, that's the name of the golf course in the movie Caddyshack. So right. anyway,
2: so so some definite parallels there.
1: <laughs> so the wonderful thing about your golf clubs, and I'm fortunate enough to own a pair of these wonderful new golf clubs, is you have this great fitting system and you do some magic. You look at people's body proportions and I, and I think you also look at their posture in sort of how they address the ball and the length of their arms. And you have all sorts of crazy, well, not crazy, we have all sorts of really interesting kind of perspectives on how to fit a golf club correctly. Right. Talk about that for a while.
2: Overall, over the years, um, one thing that always struck me, I'm a real visual person, and you could tell when a golf club fit a person well because it facilitated them setting up properly. It kind of forces you to do that. And... I'm not a math guy, but I know anything you see, you can quantify. And so I said, there must be a, a better way to do this rather than having a guy hit a whole bunch of balls and fitting flaws versus, uh, you know, just taking a guess at things. So I went through and I started to look at the different body parts, and I wrote an algorithm that took me about 10, 12 years to, to get it actually finished to where it was really close to, giving an accurate result across the board. And so we take uh, half a dozen measurements, and we can do it now on an iPhone with all of the technology. It's embedded in a secure website. We put in your height, uh, your fingertip to floor dimension, the size of your hand, which is wrist to end of your middle finger, your middle finger, your weight, your waist size, and your pant leg inseam. And from that, the algorithm calculates the size of the golf club that fits your body proportionally and it's also factored for motion so it will work when you swing a club all the changes that happen it should accommodate all of those and what that does is it facilitates sustainable improvement and the the place where we're really different is most fitting now is done via golf swing and all of us that don't play professionally have a couple things in common one we're not consistent and two we have flaws and so when you fit a golf club to a flawed swing, the fit is flawed, and it stifles a person getting better, which is one of the challenges to the game is everybody, even if you were Tiger Woods, he was continually trying to find the, the holy grail, if you will, and yet he was the best player on the world. So our philosophy is if we fit your body correctly and, and properly, it will facilitate you and force you to get into proper positions which will uh, help you play better down the road and help you improve. And that hopefully um, will keep you involved in the game. right So when you so tell us about I mean one
1: thing that Mike and I talk a lot about on this show is, well maybe maybe Mike, not so much, but I mean we talk to a lot of people who do who are building software companies. We talk to some people who are building hardware companies. I mean your company uh, I mean you manufacture something. so talk, I mean there must be a lot that I mean that must be, Maybe your travels in China and earlier in your career helped you kind of figure out how to how to how to do this. How do you how do you go about finding like say Mike and I wanted to go build some kind of hardware product and have it manufactured in China? What's that? we would, I don't think Mike and I would know the first thing about how to do it, or maybe Mike was. But
2: that that that's a really good question. Again, I say a lot of it. I was very lucky. Importer I worked with. I had always had this idea that I wanted to do this. I had a little repair shop when I worked for the importer out of college in my dad's garage. Because um, I doctored my own clubs, you know, over the years. And in my travels, um, mainly in Taiwan with the Pan Save group, I ran into a golf club foundry one, one time when we were visiting foundries, and a club head foundry. And so that always sat in the back of my mind. And then when the time became right to do this, I had a couple of contacts. So we already kind of knew where to go to get things started. We did a lot of things uh, after, you know, about our third or fourth year in business. We brought most of the foundry work back to the U.S. Now, unfortunately, there isn't a U.S. foundry alive. Oh, really? So not a single yeah, golf. It's club. all offshore. And We do now that we formed Jeffmont. We're we're catering to a higher end clientele, so our foundry work is primarily done in Japan and uh, Taiwan, a little bit in China, but that's kind of shrinking. Okay. Interesting. Well, so tell us how you think about, I mean,
1: you're, the fitting is obviously a big competitive advantage. Right. I know, my the clubs that I had before, the, um, the clubs, your clubs, you know, I know that they didn't fit me properly. And so now I, I feel like my game is really kind of enhanced. But how else do you think about the competitive landscape in the golf club manufacturing space?
2: It's a, it's an interesting thing. We're a little teeny guy. So... Um, we've survived and grown via word of mouth because uh, it's very expensive to advertise. And the big guys, I've traveled around the country speaking to them in the efforts to license our fitting system. And they're into one-size-fits-all, basically. That, that's their model. And as strange as that sounds, um, it, it's an interesting dynamic. And where we're different is... We're like a tailor. If you, if you are looking to go buy a suit, for example, you can go to Nordstrom, someplace like that that has really nice clothing, but it has to be altered to fit you. Our process is a little different. We don't build anything till we know who you are and what your size is and what your goals are. And so our process begins with a golfer versus all of the big, what you'd call major brand names they start with a sales figure in mind and then work backwards. How many sets of clubs do we need to sell? And then they, they order in a bunch of things that they think will hit those sales goals and then try to figure out how to sell them. And so that's a side piece of our business. We do quite a bit of retrofitting now um, for brands because typically a, a stock size fits statistically at best 12% of the population. So it'd be like going in and buying a pair of shoes, and all they have is size tens. Well, you might wear a size eight; you're going to have a sloppy fit, or you might be a a size twelve, and you're not going to be able to get your feet in them. It's it's not the best situation. So that's that's our main point of difference. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Go ahead, Jay. Mike.
0: I'm wondering. I'm you know I'm Joe's the golfer, so I don't I don't know as much about how it all works. But in terms of the, I'm hearing you talk about a business that is. That is increasingly becoming, uh, you know, a custom product for each customer. That's that's made to their to their specifications. Is there anything? I think that's a that's a um, a theme that's sort of happening more and more in a bunch of different areas. Partly because of like the three uh, D printing and and uh, on demand uh, creation of things like books. Are there technological um, advances that are making it easier for you to create a, a a custom product for people, or have you always been doing that?
2: We've always done it. Um, Ours still is, I use a little bit of CAD, but I'm designing a golf club head, for example. I'm a sculptor. And there are laws of physics. Those don't change. So if you know where mass needs to go to be efficient, all the rest is about wrapping that up in a shape that's appealing to the eye. And so it's a combination of old world and new world. And with the... uh, the drawing programs that are out there, it, it speeds uh, it speeds design up significantly because you're not grinding on everything 100%. You can start and kind of draw an idea and work off of that, and it gives you a little bit of a head start without putting metal shavings on the ground, if you will.
0: Right, so it sounds like a lot of the customizations you're making are not... Um... There, I imagine there are things that can be done after it comes from the f- oh, absolutely. factory. So it's So it's not like they're being personally manufactured at the right. factory. We're not person. doing
2: a, an additive manufacturing, which is what 3D printing is processed with each head. Right. That might come down the road, but it, it's got a long ways to go with, with making uh, the alloys strong enough. Uh, but yeah, it's every pretty much what we're doing is tailoring something to fit a person properly right combination of parts and flexes and angles and lengths, mm-hmm. grip sizes, all of that. So, yeah, my kid on something
1: I think is pretty interesting, um, sort of the increasing uh, increasing ability of manufacturing processes to design things that are really custom. Um, do you, I mean, it sounds to me like um, the variability in the fit for a set of golf clubs is, is pretty dramatic. I mean, it sounds like, I mean... More variability than you'd see in a in a cl- in a clothing situation, for example, probably. Uh,
2: maybe. Yeah, pa- yeah, I think that's an accurate statement. Um, and the di- the the tricky thing is proportional change occurs when you have a person that's standing erect and you take the measurements of them in a in an upright position. You don't play golf from that position. You play, you know, you bend your knees a little bit, you tilt your spine, and so there's proportional changes that occurred that occur that have to be factored into and then you have motion changes the club changes shape when it's put under under motion it, it shrinks actually in size because it flexes about four major ways in the shaft and the body changes shape as you go through and hit the ball and rotate through um, so all of those things are factored in so there's a lot of moving pieces we've tried to identify and uh, put together so that we come up with the best possible fit.
1: Well, one thing that's really I always fun for people who love gadgets is thinking about the new gadgetry in the golf world, because there's some really great gadgetry. And by the way, if you get up to Jay's shop, he's got this great thing. I forgot what it's called, but you, you, there's a machine, and it measures all these different um, aspects of your swing,
2: yeah, club. that's, uh, we have a launch monitor, it's, it's, what you see on TV, it's called TrackMan, we have a TrackMan 4, which is the latest one, and it, uh, they're manufactured in Denmark, and it, it evolved out of missile tracking, so it's that kind of software, so it, it tells you all the parameters, how fast the club's moving, how fast the ball's moving after you've hit it, which can tell you how solid you hit it, how high it flew, the launch angle, spin rates, spin axis is where the ball ended up. And it's what you see if you ever watch golf on TV, and you'll see the ball, and there's kind of a colored rainbow that shows you the flight. That's usually TrackMan uh, that they have behind the tee that's picking that data up and projecting that image. So that helps us uh, significantly dial things in. And the other interesting thing is it speeds our process up because you can show somebody right, in real-time what they're doing and how something is better for them and yes you know, another strange thing with technology is people don't argue with it you know the machine is always right that's the perception so it makes our life um, a little bit simpler and, and definitely allows us to do our job a whole lot better which is uh, is good
1: yeah I uh... <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing technology I. I do they make anything like that that's uh, portable that you could sort of bring with you to the driving range? or?
2: Um, that machine is portable. We take it out of the shop. It's, it's a little small box about the size of a laptop. And I just recently, I, I spoke at a PGA uh, fitting summit in uh, Maui a couple of weeks ago, and I took it on the plane with me for three days. And it, it uh, connects via iPhone, iPad, laptop, what have you, or all of those things in conjunction, and turns on all the cameras as well. So if you want a video feed, you can do that and wrap it all in. It's it's amazing stuff. Right, but this is like a twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars machine. Yeah, there's there about this is about thirty thousand dollars with all of the upgrades and everything.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a uh, guy you know Taylor Soper who writes for GeekWire. I think he's there their golf gadget guy. Uh I don't know if if you've ever read any of his uh, pieces, but he's always writing about golf gadgets. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I mean, obviously that's beyond the reach of the average golfer, but is is there anything that's less expensive? um,
2: There are some things that you can attach to the club. Swing bite was one of them. And uh, that basically tracks 3D motion of the golf club. As far as a reasonably priced launch monitor... There are some things that are three, four thousand dollars, but they're not terribly accurate. Okay, you're sacrificing a lot of that, so it becomes gadgetry in the negative sense, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean
1: that is one thing I've noticed. I mean, you can spend too much time right. filling with your gadgets and just right. kind of just enjoy the game. The game is meant to be enjoyed. That's but, exactly right. Don't <laughs> get bound up in the numbers. Right. It's it's fun sometimes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you can also let it distract you when you're on the golf course and <clears throat> like for a while I had the the Apple Watch, and I was experimenting with all the different, you know, it just, it didn't, none of them are, like, sort of, like, I mean, none of them just sort of operate in the background without you thinking about them. Y'all, It seems like you're always fiddling with your watch. And you're like, hey, I'm on the golf course. I really shouldn't be fiddling with my watch. I mean, who cares? I trying well, to have a nice, enjoyable time, usually.
2: Yeah, it's it's easy to get bound up in numbers and statistics. And, you know, we, like I say, we use this to try to, Figure the optimum fit for each individual person, and then let them go have some fun. Sure. And hopefully they get better and stay with the game because that's been a a challenge retaining retaining players, uh, you know, over the years.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you to ask you about was, I mean, my perception and my perception might be off is that just generally speaking over the last twenty to thirty years or something, the, the golf industry as a whole has not been one of expansive growth. It's been one of sort of flat line or barely creeping up. I don't know if that's exactly true. You're
2: you're actually it's it's been in decline for a number of years. So your your perception is pretty much on the money. It's now it's flattened out and stabilized. So the numbers say the the last couple of years. But it was in it went through a real boom in the middle 80s into the into the 90s. And then it dropped off. and, And what happened was golf is really is has three barriers. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time and it's hard as hell. And the expensive thing is you're dealing with big 100 plus acre pieces of property that have to be maintained. So economically that has to be viable as an investment. And you have the time issue, which people, you know, it's five hours if the place is close to you. You're four hours on the golf course if you're lucky and then a half an hour each way in transit. And if you're further away than that, you just add it on so it can be an all-day thing. And people have families and other things to do. And then the hard part is part of the allure for us that have stuck with it over all the years. But that's where I see my small contribution being I can make it a little easier if I design and fit things properly people have a chance to get better. And that's a real funny thing. I can think when I first started playing seriously, I can remember the first round I played and I hit one really good shot on the 17th hole, third shot into the par five at Jefferson. I can still see it in the air. And this is, God, I'm dating myself now. It's like 45 years later, 44 years later. And um, that made me come back. And I said, this is kind of fun. That felt real good. I remember what it felt like and what it looked like. And, What pains me is the major manufacturers don't really care. They just want to sell the product and be done with it. And then it's the the consumer's problem to figure out how to make it work. And we work with people after the fact, try to work them through things. If they're having adjustment problems, they're welcome to come back in. And uh, let us try to help them have more fun. And that's, in a selfish way, that's a good way to keep customers too. You stand behind what you do. Yeah, Mike, I, yeah, Mike, have you played much golf in your time?
0: Uh I used to play a bit of golf when I was uh in high school, I think, and I and I've, you know, in college and a little after, I'd go out maybe once a year and play. I mean, I I'm I'm good enough to be able to uh to hang in and not slow everyone down, but it's not something that I'm uh that I've spent a lot of time with.
1: Yeah, well, I was just uh chuckling to myself because I have I think I think I have I have golf shots I hit like maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I still remember really vividly. (laughs) I'm not sure if you have any of those, Mike, but it's a weird game. But hearing
0: you talk about it makes me think about, um, so I've been playing, I've been playing more and more video games since my kids are old enough that I have some time for that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a different game, but you definitely have your moments where you feel like that was a, that was a great game. And uh, I kind of wish that there were, um, I wish that there (laughs) were uh, accessories and, and a tools that I could buy to make my video game better, where I could go in and someone could custom fit something for me to help my to help my game, um, that would that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, one of the dreams I've had for a long time, Jay, is I, I wanted to, you know, have in my house one of those systems like you have in your oh, your simulator. Shop. I mean, that would be amazing. And I think the simulators. I heard that um, Jordan Spieth had a. I think it was a. I heard a forty five thousand dollars simulator in mm-hmm. his house, and I imagine he's playing with the top of the top. Of the top yeah. market, I don't know if that was a true number. Yeah,
2: no, that's 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 about where the real good ones start. They run, and I'm sure he's endorsing that. So I'm sure that was probably free I gotcha. or very discounted. Yeah, but they run typically from about thirty to about a hundred thousand dollars. And we looked at uh, possibly converting that. I have an old simulator I've used for years that we now don't. We've kind of mothballed with the TrackMan, but we were looking at possibly putting in the future a TrackMan system in and opening our hitting bay up to accommodate two bays um, so that people could, they can come in now, we do rent practice time, but where they could actually play a golf course. My old simulator did that, uh, just not as accurately as the modern technology. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty amazing what the uh, new technology does. It's uh, the only thing that's different... um, from that and the real experience is you're not outdoors, right? The wind's not blowing, you're not hearing the birds chirp, and that's yeah. part of the allure tour. I wonder
0: too. I wonder what that stuff would be like if you um if you did that with a virtual reality uh, headset on. So you've got the you've got the, the um the club maybe has like the uh the trackers on it, like the mm-hmm. like the 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 controllers they have for the vibe. So you'd see the club. You'd probably you'd see your hands if you were wearing something on your hands that could that, that could be tracked. And I guess you'd maybe I mean, if it was if it was a fancy setup, I guess you could put trackers on your feet and, and legs too. But so you can see your body, you can see where the tee is and where the ball is, and then you can see your club, and then everything else would be generated by the by the uh, the system. And I guess then, I guess that you, at that point, you just need to have something that catches the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, all the all the simulation of the course and the simulation of where the ball went could be handled um, and projected through the through the through the virtual reality headset.
2: Yeah, they have uh, all of that technology available now. So that, that's something I believe that's coming sooner than later. And it's like all technology, as you go along, it becomes more affordable. And when it becomes more affordable, it's more universal. So that, I don't think that's really far, as far away today as it was, let's say, three or four years ago. I think that's uh, right on the cusp of, uh, of happening in a, in a bigger, bigger, more visible way.
1: I had this idea for a, I mean, maybe call it a Kickstarter product. I mean, it would be a, it'd be like, Mike, like your reaction to this. It'd be like a little, uh, like think of it as a remote control, sort of like dune buggy type thing. And it would basically just follow you around the golf course. And then what it would do is it would, uh, it would, it would just watch you play the game. And, and, uh, and so then at the end of the round, uh, it would, it would be like a silent partner, you know, it would just follow you and, and it would, it would record all of your shots. It would do an analysis and and you could do an upsell. You could like upload the, you know, the video to some, if you wanted to pay extra money, some set of professionals somewhere to give you some coaching and you could go home. And if you, if you, if you, if if your suffering wasn't complete after the round, you could, (laughs) you could watch it. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, Uh people, golfers are crazy group because they'll pay like 800 bucks for like a little, a little device to see how far away the pin is. Right. I mean, some of these, uh, some of these little eye, you know, like laser rangefinders. Yeah, right. I mean, they're just amazingly expensive, and then of course the people lose them all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they just fall out of the cart or something, and their right. area box just sort of evaporates. I think mean, you could build like a little dune buggy type thing
2: with a with a camera and some yeah. tracking technology. Yeah,
1: I mean, maybe you could even just mount the iPhone on the thing and use the iPhone's camera or a cheap old Android device because we have like an amazing plethora of like pretty powerful computing devices on, on Android. Uh, Mike can speak to this better than me, but I mean, you can-
0: Better, better yeah. I mean, everybody's teeing off in the same spot, right? Right. (laughs) I'm surprised that they probably, that they don't have this already, but you'd think they could, they could mount cameras in places near the holes. I guess you wouldn't see your, you wouldn't see your strokes midway, but you'd at least be able to see teeing off, right? Because it's the same, everybody's teeing off from roughly the same spot.
2: Yeah, that's, that's real doable. I would think I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't been done. Especially with the camera technology, like in the in the phones, is so good now.
0: And it's good and it's cheap. I mean, yeah. cameras are cameras are super cheap right now. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. What the other thought that's occurred to me? I'm, t- I'm talking sort of just generally. I mean, kind of ranging wide and far here, but um, it strikes me that if you really want to prove your game, you should spend almost all your time. Rather than going to the driving range hitting your driver, which is which is fun, you should spend all your time around a green just working with your sandwich or from 20 yards in or something. I swear, more than half of my strokes in my game are from, you know, 50, 60 yards in or some crazy number. Like I'll hit a great drive, and then I'll hit you know, a okay, iron shot. Although last time I played with your irons, I hit some wonderful irons, that, like that flew right into your, the your checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah i mean i mean but i mean most of the time you hit your second shot is like Mm -hmm. you know around the green somewhere usually it's not on the green and then so you're there too and then you wind up with a six or something because you have this takes you four shots
2: you chunk it around yeah
1: Yeah. i I think you know phil mickelson's so great because his parents had a had a like a chipping green in their backyard and he spent his entire youth just out there with his sandwich just like chipping
2: yeah that's an important part of it when fred and i and james my uh uh, partner down in uh, California were kids we played Jefferson has a short nine and when we didn't days we didn't have playing privileges we'd hop the fence and and that's all we did was wear that place out and it's mainly hitting short irons and little pitches and we'd go make things up and you know create little games and that's that's putting is over half the game but part of that's a little misleading because that's related to how far you leave the second or the third from the hole and so if you can get the your second shot after the tee shot closer to the hole or close better proximity and or your chip um that uh that leads to to better putting as well of course the thing is i think the shots people remember i think the, the shots
1: people remember tend to be not i mean not chip so much i no. mean you don't tend to. You remember the the great. I remember the great iron, like a great iron.
2: Everybody like, wants to hit it far and uh, or high, like that's a beautiful the, seven iron, like that goes way up into the sky. And that's kind of the joke with uh, with the bigger companies. One in particular. Every driver they come they come out with a new driver every. That's been about every two or three months, and it's always seven, 17, 12 yards further than the the last iteration. And, which is not possible because <laughs> the, uh, the ruling body, the U- United States Golf Association, has everything legislated. And everybody's at the limit. So the only real frontiers left are to fit it better. Gotcha. Uh, everybody, there's all the big companies, all, even smaller companies make some really good golf equipment. But if it doesn't fit, you have the best shoe in the world. If it doesn't fit you properly, it's not, a, it's not the best shoe for you. Uh, and that's what it what it all boils down to
1: well that's that's a that's actually a pretty good note to end on um hey if you're looking for you know uh if you're looking for golf clubs um check out jeffmont.com j-e-f-f-m-o-n-t.com and if you're in seattle a pretty easy place to find redbird sports up on uh, beacon hill um and uh jay turner is the ceo and co-founder and you should should definitely go talk to jay about about new clubs i think um and my experience has been that those golf clubs were, are, have been treating me really nicely. I'm, I've only played with them maybe four or five times now, but um, gosh, I've hit some really nice
2: shots. That's good to hear. We yeah. did our job.
1: <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm really, I'm really anxious to get to get out there again and hit some, hit some more golf clubs, hit some more golf
2: shots. And we, we do do fittings for free online. If you go to the site and go to our fitting page and fill out the information, we'll give you a recommendation that you can use for anything you buy. Okay. So any party? Any other parting thoughts for us, Jay? Uh, no, I, th- I appreciate being here and the chance to share with you kind of what we're doing, our long, crazy battle here to uh, help golfers play better and have more fun. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me. Thanks. That's
0: you. terrific. Thanks, Jay. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week.